This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hey gang, hope everyone out there survived the April, this uh, past April Fools without too much hijinks. Uh, it seems every year there's a handful of brands that do a good job of uh, putting out some funny videos that kind of gives everyone a good a good laugh this time of year. And uh, our buddies over at Exodus did just that. Uh, so head over to their YouTube channel and check out their latest video. They actually worked with the DeQuistos, Cody and Andre, to put out and unveil all of their big buck secrets, which is kind of comprised into this 2.3 method. So if you're wanting to kill big deer like Andre and Cody, you, you're going to want to learn what the 2.3 method is. So check out the, the YouTube video on the Exodus YouTube channel. Also, I got word from my buddies over at Exodus. They got a deal going on right now. They're having a 48-hour flash sale uh, for the Trek and Lift 2 cameras. You can save 20% on those cameras with the code April. This is a great time to replace any of the cameras that didn't make it through last year. Or if you just simply want to add a few new cameras for this upcoming season, of course, turkey season is right around the corner. So it uh, might be a great opportunity to get a couple extra cameras so you can make sure you're seeing where those uh, where those birds are coming off the roost. Uh, as you guys know and have heard me talk about for years, all of their cameras are backed by a five-year no BS warranty and even include a five-year theft and damage coverage. Uh, they simply have the best trail camera warranty in the industry and have the customer support to back everything up. And the cameras, you've heard me say this time and time again, they just flat out work. I leave mine in a lot of times year round and have zero problems with those. You know, for those of you uh, that are hunting public land and permission property, it's nice to know, of course, that you're covered in the event that there's theft or damage. So head over to the website, excessoutdoorgear.com and lock in this special offer while supplies lasts. If you have any questions about the special offer, feel free to send uh, Exodus a message on their Instagram or Facebook page, and they'll be happy to help you or answer any and all of your questions. This podcast is also brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. As you all know, this is a business that I started with my wife to give back more to conservation. We roast premium coffee, and our coffee ships out within hours of roasting, guaranteeing that you get the freshest coffee available. The kicker, we donate 10% of our proceeds back to conservation. You choose where the donation goes at checkout. You can check us out at SkullBrewCoffee.com. So let's do some good together and help protect wild places one cup at a time. Visit SkullBrewCoffee.com and pledge your support of conservation today. Thank you. 
Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 114. Today I'm joined by Dr. Clifford Chipley, and we're discussing the current state of CWD. So stay tuned. Alright, alright, what is going on out there? Happy Tuesday to everybody. We're bringing this to you just a day lurdy, a day lurdy, man, words, and they're tough today. Uh, a day early, usually we put out these podcasts on Wednesday, but I'm deciding to put this one out just a day early. The reason being is that if you skipped the upfront of this, uh, there is a promotion uh, brought, to our, brought to you all by our good friends at Exodus Outdoor Gear that you're probably going to want to check out. So I would rewind, hit rewind, listen to that intro, and you will get the deets on how to get involved in that promotion and uh, maybe get yourself a camera on the on the skinny side of the of the cost uh, on the cost spectrum. So uh, today we got a cool show. Uh, as I mentioned under the upfront here, we have Dr. Clifford Shipley. So uh, Dr. Shipley is a, is a gentleman who I found out about while I was at ATA. Uh, of course, at ATA you're talking about all things hunting, all things deer hunting, and of course the topic of CWD came up, which is always kind of a hot topic. Um, also, there had recently been some things in the news uh, with a you know form of bacteria that might have been uh, decided, I guess, through some research that was happening at LSU that it po- could possibly be a cure for CWD, which turned out to be uh, not necessarily the case, um, and a lot of folks kind of weighed in on that. So that's been in the news as well. Um, and so I just thought it would be good to get someone on who has a, um, you know, a, a background and, you know, in this uh, category, as well as has been not just, you know, you know, a, a uh, I guess in the medical field from a, from an animal biology perspective, but also someone who's been tracking this disease for a long time. And he's been doing just that where he's been following this disease for about 20 some odd years. Uh, Dr. Shipley teaches a variety, uh, uh, veterinary medicine at the University of Illinois. He's since retired, but still does a lot of consulting. Um, he's owned, you know, elk herd, uh, captive deer herd, and has done a lot of work in studying and understanding these animals. Uh, not just that, but also CWD and its origin. Um, you know what the challenges we face are, um, and ultimately, you know what his opinion is is what we should do. Now, I will, I will say, you know, I've had folks on it from other walks of life um, to talk about CWD, and I think everyone's probably well aware of that. There's a a variety of opinions out there. Some. Uh, maybe more credible than 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 others, and and plenty of them on both sides of the spectrum of informed folks, you know, have different, very vast, uh, you know, different opinions of how this should be managed or or not. I'm still in the process of formulating what my opinion is, and I think it's helpful when we talk to folks like, you know, our friends at the QDMA, and and then you know, um, Dr. Shipley to kind of see where everyone stands on this and what their rationale, is, what their rationale is. Um, you know, it's, I don't know that I necessarily agree with everyone's point of view, um, lock, stock and barrel. And I think there's credence to, um, both perspectives. You know, one perspective is, you know, taking a more active role in the management of CWD and, uh, trying to determine what the path forward for this disease is. And then there's another kind of approach, which is more of a, um, and then, well, I'll refer to it as an evolutionary approach, which is this has been here for a long time. It has always kind of been here um, and that there's really not anything you can do about it. So, you know, putting funding and money toward, you know, the, the current management practices may be 
uh, foolhardy and maybe a, a um, futile use of resources that could be better used somewhere else. So as I said, I'm still trying to formulate what my overall perspective is on this and where I kind of land in that. And Dr. Shipley definitely helped kind of give a point of view from a very credible point of view, um, you know, as you'll, as you'll hear during the course of the interview, um, his approach to it and what he kind of thinks of it. So with that, we won't belabor this up front here. Uh, we're going to uh, we're going to just go ahead and jump right into the conversation. So without uh, further ado, let's go ahead and get Dr. Shipley on the line. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. This uh, show today, I've been really excited to have uh, this gentleman on. So if you've been paying attention at all to social media in the recent past, you know I'm, I'm sure you've seen a lot of talk about CWD, everything from the mainstream media talking about zombie deer to there was recently a, a, an announcement that was made that they thought there may be a possible cure for CWD that was related to a, back, a specific bacteria that they were able to isolate. But then there were additional reports that came out that refuted that those findings weren't necessarily uh, ironclad and that they weren't able yet to be replicated uh, from a scientific perspective. So as much hope as we might have had with that announcement, I think it kind of fell to the wayside. And so I don't know I thought, you know, in in the event of all this information, it's kind of circling about that I definitely needed to have someone on that was much more well-versed in this topic than me and a lot smarter than me. So I was introduced or I was recommended a gentleman by the name of Dr. Clifford Shipley, who also works with uh, closely with Don Higgins, who I've had on the show in the past, who you guys know and have had uh, heard from in the past. So Dr. Shipley, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you taking some time to spend uh, time talking CWD with us. Not a, not a problem. Glad to, glad to be here. Yeah, you bet. So before we get started and we jump into everything, I did a little bit of you know research on you and, and looked into your background a little bit. And I know that you you know teach veterinary medicine at the University of Illinois. Um, I know you're also also uh, you have your own uh, elk, mule deer, and whitetail uh, farm as well. And then you sit on the advisory board and, the, and are the scientific advisor for the Illinois Deer Farmers Association. But with that kind of background, if you wouldn't mind, give us a little bit more of the specifics about, you know, who you are, how you got started in hunting, and then what you do specifically in, in your professional life. Well, let's see. That's a lot. Uh, <laughs> we don't think we've got enough enough time to for me to spew all the bullshit that I, I've done. Um, I've, been, I've been in... <laughs> I've been in private practice, um, own my own practice. I've consulted for feed companies, um, done a variety of things. I've also taught at the University of uh, uh, Virginia Tech, uh, the, the vet school out there. I've been here at the University of Illinois for right at uh, 27, 28 years and recently retired from that full time. I w- I've been uh, done a little bit of everything at the university, but I'm uh, boarded in reproduction, uh, taught production medicine, uh, small ruminant medicine, uh, a variety of that. I have my own, like you mentioned, I have my own um, cervid herd. I sold my elk, so I'm just down to mule deer and white tails. Um, and uh, basically still go around the country. I do some consulting. Uh, do some semen collection and uh, laparoscopic artificial insemination. So I keep fairly busy, yeah. Um, even in even in retirement, and, uh, so done done a variety of things. Just got back from the North American Deer Farmers meeting where uh, there were several scientific papers presented on CWD that I've been looking forward to hearing 
Nice. So uh, that's a great segue. So what what type of things were you hearing during during the uh, during that conference that kind of piqued your interest? Well, um, there was a uh, Dr. Tracy Nickel from the USDA was supposed to be there, but she somehow hit the polar vortex in Colorado <laughs> yeah. and never never made it in. She was going to give us an update on the new CWD uh, rules for the for the U.S. But uh, Dr. Uh, Nick Haley was there from Lincoln University. Uh, there was a uh, uh, guy from uh, MedGene out of South Dakota. Another presentation that Dr. Haley did for uh, Gavin Henderson, who was supposed to be there from uh, USDA, talking about uh, CWD and uh, genetics. And Dr. Haley presented on genetics of, of CWD. So. It was a it was a good program. Dr. Haley's probably he's the guy you should be talking to. He's certainly smarter than I am, but he <laughs> he was given has done a lot of work on both elk uh, genetics and white-tailed deer genetics for resistance uh, to CWD, and uh, gave a really nice talk. Nice. Were there any uh, any highlights from that that uh, that you can recall offhand in terms of uh, of the I guess what you're referring to maybe and keep me yeah. honest here is is the development of any type of resistance that they might acquire over the course of evolution? Yeah, well, it was, the talk was very interesting. I was fairly familiar with it, but I wanted to hear uh, he had talked a year ago about elk. He'd been doing a project with an infected CWD herd of elk in in. Uh, Colorado, and he'd been doing that work for, I think, three to five years, something like that. And there is genetic resistance in elk, but there's only one marker, according to him. Mm-hmm. And so there's not much uh, uh, room for uh, selection mm-hmm. uh, or change to the elk genome because it's only in that one gene. Uh, however, in whitetails, they've identified five different uh, alleles that are responsible for resistance. And so uh, we can do some uh, genetic selection and we've got the markers identified. We can, it's basically going to be a test uh, that we can do, run DNA, like you 23 and me and find out whether you're from West Africa or, right. or uh, Italy, but it'll be um, where we can identify whether these animals are carrying specific genes that will make them more resistant to CWD. Now, the jury's out on whether it's going to mean these animals will never get CWD, but it appears that animals that have certain genetic markers uh, either get CWD and don't show clinical signs till very late or perhaps Never. So we can essentially select for these animals that don't get CWD or clinical signs of CWD. And the thing about that is also that if they have these markers, they tend not to shed even if they would get infected or they don't infect till very, very late in life. So uh, it it looks like a good way for us to... uh, for people that farm deer to select for animals that aren't going to get uh, clinical CWD. And uh, we found the, the gene in, in some pertinent parts of the wild population. So uh, perhaps through evolution, 
um, the wild deer will evolve uh, to where they don't get CWD. Right. That's interesting. So, is there interesting, interesting stuff? Yeah, no, that, that it is interesting. It's, is there any, and, and this is just, you know, I'm, I'm of course not a scientist in any stretch of the imagination, but is there anything that this, that we're learning based on this research that could possibly be used for any type of development of a, of a live test? Cause I know one of the challenging things is now is that, you know, the only way you really ever know a deer has CWD mm-hmm. is that it's, you know, a necro, what is it? Necropsy? Yeah. Is that what it's called? It, yeah. A, ne- a necropsy, necropsy or postmortem. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, and where you take the obex or the retropharyngeal lymph nodes, which the retropharyngeal lymph nodes are, are uh, hidden up behind the larynx um, underneath uh, uh, the soft palate. It's really a hard place to get to unless they have their head removed. Mm-hmm. And the obex is the caudal part of the brain just before it gets into the spinal cord. So those are, those are dead animal tests. Uh, very accurate um, uh, and are the gold standard. However, uh, they've got some new tests, uh, uh, a real-time quaking test that is much more sensitive and can detect uh, the prion uh, in other fluids and tissues. So it's going to pick it up much, much earlier. Or it, will be, it, it, it could be a live test. The problem with the test, anything other than the obex and the retropharyngeal lymph node, is the fact that they're not the tests are not accepted as official tests yet by the USDA and most states. Hmm. There are a couple of states that have allowed some uh, live testing. Ohio and uh, Texas, I think, are two, and I think Pennsylvania may have allowed some in some animals. Uh, where they were doing uh, rectal biopsies, uh, but this test or these these new tests are are uh, going to be live animal tests and should be able to be carried out uh, and detect uh, the prion much much earlier and a much much lower level. So uh, the envision is that you know hunters can uh, will be able to check their animals, deer farmers will be able to check their animals. Uh, it, it will allow for uh, uh, a lot earlier detection, uh, finding this disease, and hopefully uh, uh, help everybody out. Right. So why? What's the? Why would the test not be able to be used? Or I guess better way to ask would be what would the hold up? <laughs> what would the hold up be? Because I just in full disclosure, it's like I work in the pharmaceutical okay. kind of uh, space, so yeah. it's like I'm familiar with when there is a test because I've recently had this happen where there was a, a client who had a test. Uh, they had some findings and some data, yet the test was not FDA approved yet, so they were not able to use that there data from a promotional perspective, even though the test was relevant. Yep. They, just, they just had to wait till the FDA was able to approve it yep. before they could actually use it. Is it something similar to that, to where it's just a matter of going well, through the hoops, or is it? <clears throat> is there something fundamental with the test that they're not 100% okay with? No. Well, it, it's uh, uh, you're working with the government. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And uh, wherever you stand on that, they right. don't respond quickly. Uh, they want to, they'll err on the side of caution every time, and it may take, uh, you know, multiple years and multiple uh, samplings, testing, experiments, et cetera, depending on whether you're talking a new drug or a new test, 
to get it approved. And that's where we're at right now. I think uh, I, I see light at the end of the tunnel that maybe this test will be approved in a year or two or three. Um, but it, it generally takes the USDA, FDA, I would tell you from past experience, years to approve something. And then once they approve it, it usually then has to go out for public comment, which requires uh, uh, letting the public reply and going through those replies and getting it that approved and then publishing it in the Code of Federal Regulations. And once they do all that, you still have to have the states adopt the USDA um, rules. Right. Uh, for instance, uh, I'm here in Illinois and I'm on the <clears throat> Livestock Advisory Board. And if the USDA passes a test or passes something for, for animal, whatever, the state of Illinois then has to have call a meeting of the Livestock Advisory Board. They have to approve it because our rules are supposed to follow the USDA's and that has to go through our legislature, our, the Joint Council of, uh, I can't remember, JCAR is the short name for it. And then that has to be published. So it takes literally takes months or more likely years to get anything done. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's a very quick, responsive system. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So in feet. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was picking up on the on the hint of sarcasm there. <laughs> um. So I we we started talking about tests and stuff kind of quickly, and 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 I've you know read some things uh, about CWD, whether it's in magazines or you know online articles or whatever the case might be. But for someone who's listening who maybe just doesn't even know to start what we're talking about. We should probably back up for like a quick second and just can you give me, I guess, in the, in the listeners a, a sense of, you know, what exactly is CWD and how is it contracted and why is it so difficult to manage, I guess? So let's unpack those three things. Okay. Well, those, those are questions that have bothered us for, for years, and I don't know that we still have all the answers, but um, CWD is a... Um, what we call a TSE or transmissible spongiform encephalopathy. That's a fancy term for it affects the brain. And there are lots of <clears throat> TSEs that affect uh, different animals. For instance, in cattle, uh, we hear of BSE, bovine spongiform encephalopathy, or more popular uh, term mad cow disease. Right. What a mad, what a bad name. Right. Um, in, in deer, we've got CWD or chronic wasting disease, also a prion disease. And remind me to come back to prion disease versus the spherioplasma that's okay. been talked about recently. Um, we have it in, in ostriches and emus. There's a spongiform encephalopathy that affects them. In man, there are several different uh, encephalopathies that men get, uh, people get, um, Crutchfield-Jakob disease, variant Crutchfield-Jakob disease, Kuru, uh, et cetera. So there are diseases or, or prion diseases that affect multiple species, scraping and sheep, et cetera. So right. uh, the prion disease is, is a, it's a s slow acting 
and a prion is a misfolded protein, and there are misfolded there are proteins, the amyloid proteins in our brains, and this protein is infectious in that it, if we pick it up, it affects and misfolds subsequently the proteins in in the brain um, and causes holes to be eaten in the brain. Mm-hmm. So eventually, animals or people that get a uh, um, a prion disease show usually some signs of, of uh, brain damage, whether that's dullness, um, staring off into space, uh, lack of control uh, of their body, difficulty swallowing, etc. Eventually, the prions eat up the brain and the, and the affected individual or animal dies. But usually they die before that. In the case of most wild animals, they die from predation, get hit by cars, those types of things. Right. Uh, or die of pneumonia in 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 uh, other cases uh, where you can't swallow anymore, you can't function, et cetera. So right. you die usually of other things before you die of the prion disease. Uh, now, that was uh, Stanley Prusner, that's who the prion was named after, won a Nobel Prize for that back in the 70s, I think. It might have been the 80s, but I think it was the 70s. And um, the recent press has been over a, another entity, i.e. a bacteria, that a, researchers at LSU claim to be the cause of, the, of, the, of CWD or caused the uh, brain damage. Uh, this has been, uh, it's not new. This guy's been doing that research for a number of years, probably 20 years or more. Hmm. Uh, it's not been able to be replicated anywhere. Um, the um, research is, um, has been questioned by a lot of people. There's uh, uh, probably, you know, it, it, it would be lovely. I would love to have this be the cause of it where I could go out and treat animals and they get better or treat humans and get better. Mm-hmm. I've seen the claim there. Uh, this this uh, and Alzheimer's can cause uh, some of these symptoms and in, in, or this disease quote quote uh, is attributed to some of the Alzheimer's. So um, I think right now the scientific community uh, scoffs at the this and and um, you know it's not accepted uh, and and unfortunately I don't think. Um, you know, when I look at all the data and reading and stuff, and I've got, uh, I've, I've kept up with this disease for 20 years. Um, I, I wish I could say it was true, but it just ain't so, I don't think. Right. So what just, for the lay person, like what are what are the gaps in the research that where it falls down? Outside of like, I understand from a scientific perspective, <clears throat> you need to be able to replicate Right, that's like a critical component yeah. of it. But aside from that, what are some of the places where there's holes in in, in this you know approach? Yeah, yeah. The, the well, one it, the, the biggest one is that it just simply can't be replicated. There have been lots of people trying to do it uh, for years and haven't been able to replicate it. So that's probably the biggest one. But other ones would be the the um, um, 
Oh, I'm trying to figure out a good way to explain it. I'll put it to you this way. If this was true, okay, and we could cure 15% of the Alzheimer's patients and prevent Krebs-Schildjakob uh, in people and scraping in sheep and BSC in cattle, et cetera, et cetera, I believe the uh, somebody would be jumping all over that. We wouldn't be piddling around with deer. Right. Um, so, um, it, you know, it, it, it doesn't hold water on the genetic end of things. Um, you know, we can do the genetics, and Dr. Haley, like I said, was at this meeting explaining genetics. None of this fits the genetic end of things. Um, none of it fits in the other species. Um so, I, I, like I said, I'd love it to be true, um, but I, I, I don't think it is. Right. So, I, matter of fact, I'm real sure it's not. Right. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. So you know, one thing that you mentioned there where it's like if, if this were true or had a possibility to be true, there would be a lot of people jumping on it. And like the first thing that came to my mind was really, you know, when something like that happens in the scientific community to a degree, it's like, money flows to that area right whenever you have a possibility yeah, you're of a, get money right exactly yeah. so and the inverse to that though i have a question like i was kind of thinking about this just the same way you kind of brought it up because that was kind of my thought was like if this was a real opportunity man you would see a lot of po- folks throwing money at this but then i started thinking yeah. is there any detrimental impact to the research of cwd going forward because this kind of came out it maybe got people's hopes up a little bit and then there's a little bit of maybe I say mourning around it, that it just, it wasn't, they, yeah. they were hopeful and then they got their hopes dashed. And there, is there any type of recession in that regard in, in terms of putting dollars toward the CWD research because of something like this? I, I don't think so. As a, you know, my hope is that it actually generates more interest and, you know, maybe he's got something. So, uh, unfortunately, uh, I shouldn't say this out loud, but I will. Unfortunately, we, we've spent a lot of money on CWD mm-hmm. um, in this country, uh, most of it unwisely uh, on programs that have proved they don't work. If we just spent all that money on research to try to find out what's going on and prevent it, and vaccinations, et cetera, and the, there, are, there are some a couple of vaccines on the horizon, perhaps, coming out of Canada. Uh, we may have done more with this disease rather than spend $35 million sharpshooting here in Wisconsin. Um, so I, I think that uh, the research, we need to spend money on the research, but we need to spend it on basic research and look at uh, pathophysiology of the disease and vaccines and genetics, those types of things. Um, and I now I'll get into uh, one of the things you asked me to talk about, which is, uh, uh, gonna, it, it, to me, is why we should spend our money wisely on research programs rather than what we're currently doing. Uh, 
the disease is is uh, slow acting. It's infectious, but it's very slow. It's not like the flu, where if you cough and sneeze in a in church, everybody next week is not is going to miss <laughs> church because they got the flu. <laughs> right. Um, it's it, it it might affect um, a few deer uh, in air in certain areas. Uh, so it, it it's so far, and there's been a couple of articles, but they've been fairly well disputed that it affects populations. And and for the most part, we think it doesn't affect populations. As a matter of fact, their sharpshooting and their control <laughs> factors have probably killed more deer than CWD ever will. Um, so, uh, you know, the disease is going to continue to spread. If you look at a map, go back to 1967 where it was first discovered in Colorado, and then uh, animals were sold and released from the research facilities there at Colorado. Um, so it was actually spread by, you know, our fish and game people. Uh, unwittingly, I don't blame right. them, but I right. mean, that was that is where it came from, most likely. Uh, and so uh, it, it, it's in the environment, and this prion is next to impossible to kill. In other words, standard disinfection, uh, standard temperatures for disinfection, disinfecting agents don't affect it. And once it gets on the property and in the soil, it can even get in plants, et cetera. So um, once it's there, it's there. And deer, we know, are social animals, and so they're going to continue to groom one another, have babies, stay in their family groups, use lick scrapes and rubs, and so they're going to contract it in the wild. Uh, we we uh, have moved taxidermy all over this country. Mm-hmm. Fish and game pick up dead carcasses along the road. Um, don't dispose of them properly. Hunters carry. Uh, infected animals home from Wyoming because they didn't read the regs or they scoffed at them and threw the bones out behind the house and spread it. So there's lots of uh, factors that go into why uh, this disease is going to be here. It's going to be here forever, and it's going to continue to spread. And I wish none of those statements were true, but I'll tell you, if you call me 20 years from now, I'll bet you agree with me. Right. So it's and I don't I don't dis I don't disagree with you. I hate the it, it's it pains me when I talk to someone who knows so much more about it than I do, and and they just in in the realistic outlook is that it's not a how do we get rid of but how do we live with kind of question. Yeah, we're we're going to have to live with this disease. We can't eradicate it. Right. It, it's going to be impossible. Well, unless you drop a nuclear bomb uh, and and take out every. But, you know, when we test for it, we find it. And the other discouraging thing is, you know, we're finding it other places. Uh, they found it in Norway, Finland, um, Korea. Um, there's another place that just popped up. And, of course, when we find it, we, we, we add almost a new state or two every year where they find it, you know. Yeah. Um, Arkansas, uh, Mississippi. Uh, they keep keeps popping up Virginia, West Virginia. You know, it it just pops up everywhere, and and so 
in isolated places, in some places that uh, we go, where did it come from? Well, it may have been there all along. Somebody threw out a carcass or somebody moved an animal or, you know, uh, started a new herd of elk in Missouri from untested animals. You, you just right. don't know. Right. So I want to back up for one second because you, you mentioned about management practices and stuff, and it's this has become become more of a hot button issue in Pennsylvania because especially for my hometown where my, my home family farms are and stuff like that is that we're actually in the hot zone for CWD and they've been talking about, they haven't acted on any of it, but they've been talking about and kind of teeing up the idea of some pretty aggressive management tactics around it. So one yeah. question I have is just, you know, knowing that, you know, talking in, in I'm, I'm talking to you who, you know, you, like you said, you've been watching this thing for 20 plus years you're, you work in the, in the field of, of, uh, of veterinary medicine and are quite learned on all the topics. And then I've talked to like, you know, some folks from QDMA who have been studying this thing for a long, for a long time. And across the board, everyone just kind of says that, you know, the research and understanding of this disease is, is paramount. Right. And that is like the key to figuring out how we're going to, you know, manage our way through this. So I guess I'm just curious what the disconnect is, at least in your opinion, what the disconnect is between the scientific community and what they're suggesting and how we should be approaching these things and the legislators who are making the yeah. decisions on where the money is going to go to help support efforts yeah. for against CWD. Yeah, you're not going to like me very well. <laughs> the 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 science is actually pretty well established on how this disease is spread, where it lives, how long it takes to show clinical signs, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, we 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 know that it can pass through coyotes and and birds and and you know feces and get spread that way. We know carcasses, uh, brains. We know that. Uh, Animals, uh, deer groom one another and use the same licks and scrapes and, you know, all those, all those things. So I'll go back to my earlier statement. There's not a goddamn thing, but pardon my French, mm -hmm. that we can do about it. Right. Okay. It's there. So we have to live with it. Now, the beautiful thing about this disease is that it takes a while, probably three to five years for it to kill an animal. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now. If you look at our the data on how long li deer live in the wild, the average age deer live to is, do you know the answer to this question? I do not, no. About a year and a half. Hmm. Due to 30-06s, Buicks, and arrows, okay? Mm. Yep. It has very little to do with predation because we don't have the major uh, super predators in most of our whitetail area in this country. Right. Yeah. And by super predators, I'm talking about wolves and mountain lions, which kill tons of them. Yes, coyotes kill quite a few, uh, bobcats can, etc. Um, smaller animals can catch fawns. But for the most part, we're talking about uh, cars, arrows, and bullets. Right. Okay. So if, if they can live three to five years, they're going to reproduce, and it won't really affect populations, okay? Mm -hmm. And and we know that. We really do. And, and the, if you pin, want to pin a game and fish biologist down, they know that. Deep down in their heart, they know that. Now, I don't know why they insist on killing deer 
with high-powered rifles and and trying to depopulate because we know that won't help. Uh, we we know that that will not help. Uh, they tried that experiment in Wisconsin, and they've got more deer in their CW dome now than they did before they spent $35 million shoot, sharpshooting. Hmm. Here in Illinois, which is sometimes held out as a model for CWD control because we shoot tons of deer in our CWD areas, uh, we've got our low rate, 1%. But guess what? It's gone from one county that was infected in 2002 to now it's spread, and I believe the latest count is 22 counties wow. in Illinois. Now, if that's control of CWD, then I got to read a different book. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, yeah, no, I, and that's spending millions of dollars shooting deer. Yeah. So, I would, there was a paper published in 2006 by the Canadian Wildlife Federation, one of their scientists went rogue on them and wrote a paper and said the best thing we could do for CWD is just ignore it. Because hmm. people don't get it. Hmm. There's been no, I mean, they've been trying for years to show that it jumps species, and it doesn't. And it, it might, but it doesn't yet. Mm-hmm. And when we know that, uh, we've done all sorts of experiments. So it doesn't jump species. It doesn't affect any other of our domestic livestock or our pets, i.e. dogs and cats. So, and it costs millions to control it. It stays in the environment forever. So, you know, you tell me why we should spend another nickel on it. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great question. I mean, to, I mean, to pose. I mean, I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah. Cause you know, it, it, we've, uh, uh, we we aren't ha- if if we were controlling the disease instead of seeing it spread across the country, mm-hmm. we would see the circle shrinking, mm-hmm. and we we aren't seeing that. We're seeing it spread. Right. So so if in, in your opinion, I mean, do you should there be a management approach taken at all? Whether I mean outside of what has been happening currently? I mean, is there, is there an approach that you would see that would be, that, that would be fit that you think would be helpful either, either in the short term or in the, in the long term? No, I, I, I wouldn't, it, you know, uh, this, I'll, I'll speak on, on two levels. One, Illinois, Illinois has no money. Mm-hmm. We're broke. Okay. We shouldn't be spending a dime on anything here. Uh, last time I checked, our U.S. national debt was $23 trillion. We don't have any money. Right. Um, I'm not sure I would I could justify spending anything on this disease other than some basic research um, into vaccines, um, testing, you know, monitoring, that sort of thing. And I really, the only thing I would I worry about is whether it gets into humans or other domestic animals. So that's where I would be throwing my money at right now. So, and this genetic thing, because if we can solve it through genetics, and I, I brought this up at the, the meeting in, in Tulsa the other day. I go, uh, we have currently the technology through CRISPR where we can go in and edit a gene. If we could take these genes out of deer that make them susceptible to CWD, which we can, we have the technology to do that. We could make deer that were CWD resistant. 
We could raise them in our pens, and guess what? We could turn them loose. Mm -hmm. And they would make our deer resistant to CWD. Now, who's going to allow that or let it happen or finance that? But um, just a, just food for food for thought. Yeah, no, I mean, that's then we a, wouldn't have anything to worry about, would we? Right. Yeah, exactly. It's like you just you clean it up at the source kind of right to become survival of the fittest. Right. Those who those who don't have the uh, the correct genealogy don't make it. Those who do do. You know, yep. so. Yeah. So let me ask this. I know you mentioned, you know, that there's no, um, you know, because one of the things they talk about here in Pennsylvania, at least that I was was reading a little bit, um, is just the concern with, you know, having a hot zone of, of, of deer with CWD. And then of, of course, Pennsylvania has a, a, an elk herd that they've rehabilitated over the course of years, which is um, a pretty yep. decent herd now, as far as like, you know, for, oh, yeah. for, a, for, for yeah. Pennsylvania, right. I mean, they, they're able to kill a couple bulls every year. Oh, that's and, not a bad herd. I, where are you, where are you located at in Pennsylvania? Well, I live in Eastern PA. So I live, I live near Philadelphia. I grew up in uh, Bedford County. So I grew up in like the South central part of Pennsylvania near the border of Maryland. Okay. Well, my, my in-laws were from Lancaster and Reading and yeah. my wife grew up, uh, was born in Bucks, Brooks County and, and uh, grew okay. up uh, and born in Reading. So yeah. I'm very familiar with the area. And I used to go hunt with my father-in-law up in uh, uh, Northern Pennsylvania, Sweden Valley area. Okay. Yeah. So, nice. So I mean, sport. Yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, you're familiar with the area and we have a pretty good elk herd that's, that they've done a lot of good stuff yeah. with. So, I, th yeah. One of the things that has been, has been mentioned is just the concern for it to then make its way to the elk herd, which they've done. Oh, because yeah. it, you know, I guess what they're it saying will. is is that it's just it not – this herd isn't it's large gonna, enough or stable enough that they could withstand contracting CWD that it would li most likely wipe them out is what oh, they're no. kind of suggesting. Uh, no, 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 no. I, I, see, I don't believe that at all. What, what, what about the elk herd in Arkansas where they've got it? What mm -hmm. about the elk herd in Colorado and Wyoming where they've got it? Mm -hmm. Those elk, uh, the elk herd in Colorado is not affected at all. Once again, they get eight and they reproduce, mm -hmm. you know, so it, it's, it's going to be, it will probably affect the deer herd or the elk herd more than it will the uh, deer herd. But what are you going to do about it? I mean, right. seriously, are you going to put a fence up and keep it out? <laughs> No, that won't right. work. We know fences. Do, we know fences don't work. The crow beats on the carcass on one side, and then goes flies over and shits on the other side. Pardon my language again, and they don't pick it up. You right. know, uh, we we know that uh, those things don't work. Or it gets in the um, watershed and they drink, or it gets. Uh, uh, carried through coyote scat or whatever. I mean, we, we know those things. People don't want to accept it because they, we always want to do something. Right. I mean, we want to do something to keep it from spreading. We want to preserve those elk. Now, uh, I think maybe the best hope for an elk herd, like the ones in PA would be a vaccine that works. And, uh, there are two vaccines being developed at Saskatoon and, the University of Saskatoon uh, that hold promise and hope, uh, but and and it was fairly easy uh, to uh, vaccinate elk um, either through darting or through uh, they're working on feed through a vaccine. So you know maybe that's going to be the solution for the elk herd, but uh, uh, you know uh, 
Are you going to kill all the deer in the area to save a few elk? Right. That yeah. are going to pick it up anyway. Yeah. No, you're right. The, it's. I'm, I mean, you know, I hate to be that brutal about it, but I mean, well, seriously, think about it. No, I mean, I think that. I think one of the things that. And I think regardless of what topic you're talking about, whether we're talking about CWD and deer hunting or whether you're talking about, you know, I don't like foreign policy, right? Whatever it is, it, it's mm-hmm. it's the pe- people's lack of interest of like just the brutal reality of what the situation is. So they can actually dive in and kind of start to fix what's actually the problem, right? As opposed to creating additional problems that they can pretend to solve, right? Because I think that we do that a lot of times. We We create we create smaller problems or ancillary problems that we can work on because we're not quite sure to how to actually fix or work on the big problem. Right. Well, if you're, if you're a, yeah. And, and if you're a researcher or a fish and game department or whatever, you've got to show that you're doing something. Right. And you got to, you know, you know, you're the money that you get either through uh, research dollars from the government or from companies or, from license sales, et cetera, you got to be showing you're doing something right. and it fuels the whole, the whole thing. Right. Now, you, so, you know, if, if um, there would be a lot of people out of work, if we weren't doing anything to control CWD. Right. Right. So it, it, it sounds like maybe, it, maybe they could do something, to, something useful, like clean up invasive species or something. <laughs> right. So it sounds like, you know, what your position kind of is and, and your perspective is, is that, look, it's here. It's not going to go anywhere. Eradicating it is not really an option. So we have to learn how to manage it, right? Or manage or live with we it. We just have to live with it. Live with it, right? We just have to live with it. And yep. then, we just but have there, to live with it. And so dumping dollars into manage it in the, the ways we have historically doesn't make sense because it's, one, we don't have the money and we're, and we're not spending the money that we don't have in the right places. And if we are going to continue to spend money... It probably ought to be spent in more practical kind of fundamental areas that actually show some, that actually have been proven to show yeah. some promise. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So that's, that's, that's pretty much my conclusion. It may be wrong. Well, hey, I'd love to be wrong. Right. I'd love to be wrong. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing. It's like most, most folks that you talk to that are, that are, you know, in the know on this topic, it's like, you know, they, it's not a, they, they say similar things, you know what I mean? It's, it's here, it's here to stay. They would love to be wrong. They would love to think that there would be an opportunity for a straight out cure for it. Um, but they don't necessarily see it on the, on the horizon. And I think taking a practical approach to it. And I think oftentimes things are solved with making sure that your fundamentals are solid, right? Um, if you just, you and I were talking about the NCAA tournament basketball and, and, and wrestling before we started recording, and like when you watch these yep. high level athletes compete in whatever sport it is, you know, they might they might look like they're doing all worldly things and they typically are, but like if you look at the basis of what they're doing, it's they're really, really good at their fundamentals. Like to the point that they just yep. don't have a fundamental flaw. You know what I mean? And then yeah. it's all the other stuff they're able to do which makes them elite, right? And so I think yep. that yep. approach just in life in general, no matter what you're trying to tackle, is where you kind of need to start. It's like and so if CWD, it, it feels like we went for like the, the half, half court shot maybe before we started shooting free throws and layups, if that makes sense. <laughs> you know, Better I mean? learn to shoot a left-handed layup. Right, if right. You're going to start, start for me. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. So <laughs> let, let me ask you this. I have two more questions. and I want to be sensitive to your, to your time here because I know you just got in from doing chores and stuff, so I want to make sure you have a little wind-down time this evening. But 
you know, what would be your advice to the hunting community regarding CWD? Like if you had, you know, a group of hunters and, and they're just, they're just not sure what to do, what to think, mm-hmm. how, the, how they can help, what would your advice be? Sure. Oh, that's easy. That's really easy. Go out, hunt, enjoy it. Um, there's, there, don't worry about CWD. And if you are worried about CWD, it's very simple. Get your animal tested, bone it or, or not, because some people don't want to spend the money for the test, mm-hmm. and it costs money to do it. Some states are doing it, I think, for nothing, but it's going to cost 50, 30, 50 bucks, mm-hmm. give something like that. And mm-hmm. if you don't have the money and you, or you don't want to test, you're in a low incidence area, simply bone the animal out. And don't eat the lymph nodes and the brain and the spinal cord. And quite frankly, uh, I I try not to eat brain and spinal cord anyway. So, you know, I'm in pretty good shape. (laughs) Right. Right. So I'd say go out and hunt. Enjoy. Right. Um, There's there's nothing to be scared of. Uh, I think if, if you're a hunter, we have more to be scared of by not going hunting and, um, and not teaching and taking new people out to go hunting. Uh, I see our hunting population declining and more and more pressure for, um, from organizations that are want to take away our hunting rights and our gun rights. Uh, so go hunt, enjoy the heck out of it. There's nothing better to do than take your kid out hunting. And if he's out hunting, you know he's not raising hell downtown. <laughs> uh, that's right. And if, in, uh, unless you were me growing up, then you were hunting and you were doing that too. I, I had I had a little extra time, maybe. I was I, I was really good at prioritizing. You mean your dad did? You, you mean your dad didn't spank you oh, like mine did? Oh yeah. Well, I got I got it. I got it pretty good. I just I was a glutton for punishment. And I was hard headed. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I was. But uh, all right. Well, Doctor Shipley, I do appreciate you jumping on. I loved talking to you. Um, I'd love to have you on another time uh, to, to chat further and just kind of pick your brain about other topics that regarding science and stuff that that, that, uh, that comes up. But I do appreciate your time. I do want to let you go here this evening so you get a little wind down time. And uh, thanks so much for joining us. No problem. You take care. Have a great evening. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank Dr. Shipley for joining. I'd, of course, like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already done so. Uh, We'd be super appreciative if you'd be able to do just those two things for us. And before we shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout-out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Exodus Outdoor Gear, Trophy Ridge, Ozonics, Obsession Bows, Ramcat Broadheads, Trophy Taker Rests, and Dead Down Wind. And until next time, we'll see you. Like November's on my heels Makes me proud, makes me steal
All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.